Uh, it is especially a blessing for me being able to uh, look out and see so many faces of those whom uh, we love and care for. Uh, such a blessing to have you all with us as we have, we've called today our plus one day, uh, which is supposed to be an opportunity for us just to invite some individuals to come join us. And I appreciate y'all coming. I was talking with a retired minister, minister not that long ago, and he shared that all of his favorite memories of holidays involved both his family and the church. Sure, he said there were times that he celebrated the holidays where they were away from the church, but in many ways, the church became a part of his family. So it just seemed natural that he would be with them on the holidays and seasons like Christmas. Well, my hope is that you would see us as an extension of your family this Christmas season. And what a privilege it is for us to walk alongside each other on this journey that we call life through good times and through bad times. The Bible says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and we are to mourn with those who mourn. Certainly this is a season for rejoicing and your presence is a beautiful thing certainly to me, even if nobody else appreciates it today. I definitely did. In fact, uh, one last thing I want to say relating to this, uh, it's an invite for, for each of you. Uh, in your bulletins, Jerry pointed out there is a cream-colored page, and uh, it's a schedule of everything that's going on regarding Christmas here at the church, and some of it's already taken place. Actually, we had an event this past Friday night. We participated with the uh, town of Central. They had a Christmas parade, and we had such a good time with that, and it was such a blessing just to be a light to the community. But there are many other things that are still going on this season, and I encourage you to take that card that's in the bulletin with you and use it to keep track of the stuff that's going on over the next several weeks and know that you are invited to whatever you can come to with that. We're going to have a great time. It's a great privilege to be able to celebrate as one big family and we consider you family. So I was reading with a friend this week from the book of Joshua. And by the way, now I'm into my sermon. Sorry, that was just an intro before that. I was reading this week with a friend through the book of Joshua and I found something that hit me kind of oddly. It's found in Joshua chapter 3 and then again in Joshua chapter 7. And most of you have heard me talk about the verse that I'm going to reference in Joshua 3 in just a moment. God is about to allow the Israelites to miraculously walk across the Jordan River while it's at flood stage. And in Joshua 3, 5, the people are instructed to consecrate yourselves. For the Lord will do amazing things among you. For the Lord is about to do amazing things among you. My guess is that most of you have heard me talk about this previously. It was a call to make sure that you are fully surrendered to God. Consecrate yourself as if you don't belong to yourself anymore, but rather you belong to him. If you've got sin in your life, you need to address it. You need to be fully surrendered to him. Make sure that things are right between you and God. And my hope today is that all of us have already done that. But a lot happens between Joshua 3, 5 and Joshua 7, 13. On the good side of things, they have crossed the Jordan River. And they now find themselves in a promised land that had evaded them for more than 40 years. 
They've stood against the great walled city known as Jericho, and they won. And the Israelites had to know that God was on their side. How good must things have felt for them? But on the less attractive side of things, they have already allowed sin to take root in their camp. Specifically, the sin of selfishness and greed. The same sins that so often plague humanity today. And as a result, we read God's instructions in Joshua 7.13. Consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. I don't know about you, but that sounds really familiar. It's the exact same thing, a little bit of wording different, but it's the exact same message from Joshua 3.5. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Now consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow. I thought they were already consecrated. Why would they need to be consecrated again? The answer is simple. Surrender to God is not a one-time deal. The Israelites are works in progress, and they must die daily to their sin. And that means the occasional or frequent course correction. I am of the belief that all of us find ourselves at times in need of a course correction, a chance to evaluate where we are and perhaps even hit the reset button so that we don't continue on the current path. In fact, my guess is that all of us have had to do this multiple times already. And more than likely, there are even some of us who are in the midst of such a course correction even today. Sometimes such course corrections are unique to us. Perhaps it's in the midst of a healthcare emergency. Maybe there's someone here who has received word that cancer is within their family. And suddenly you recognize, man, I, I can't continue doing what I'm doing. I need God's help. Or maybe it's during a time where you're changing your employment, perhaps because we've made some poor moral choices. And maybe there's simply baggage and therefore we're saying we can't continue on our current path. We need a change. Perhaps it's more of a corporate type of course correction. Something like what has happened over the past two plus years as we've walked through this COVID craziness and this continually evolving health saga, realizing that the world will never be what it was before. Specifically regarding those self-imposed moments where we've made poor choices, we could sit and sulk in our sorrow and our regret, or we can resign ourselves to just stay in the junk that led us to need course correction. But there is a third option. We could simply accept the fact that we are sinful people and that we can be changed. You see, the reality is you don't have to stay on the same course that you've been on. Yes, there will be some things that happen and we'll need a course correction. It's completely out of our control. It's not because, the, the example of COVID, how many of us planned for COVID to happen? Nobody did. It was just something that it came upon us and we had to deal with it and it was time to correct. And by the way, there were a lot of things that hopefully it revealed. There were things that we felt like we were dependent on and suddenly we realized we didn't really need those things. 
For example, I know some of us are already back into it, but the sports world shut down. Tell you the truth, it didn't hurt us. We were okay without all of those things. I ate at home a whole lot more when we were going through all the COVID stuff. Maybe that was a good thing. And the truth is, sometimes a course correction is just something that happens. You begin to realize maybe there are some things that need change. But you know what? Sometimes it's not because of what everybody else has done. It's because of what we've done. We can choose to be satisfied with our sinful choices, to be satisfied with our sinful choices, or we can stand and fight against those sinful choices. And that's where the course correction comes in. The same story in Joshua is followed up after they dealt with the sin problem in Israel with instruction from God for them to get up and fight. I told you in Joshua 3, 5, consecrate yourselves for the Lord will do amazing things among you. In Joshua 7, 13, consecrate yourselves for the Lord will do amazing things among you. And in Joshua 8, 1, they're told to get up and fight. The idea is that you have been knocked down, but you can get up again. You lost the battle, but this is just an opportunity for a course correction. Do you remember Jesus' warning to Peter? As described in Luke chapter 22, Peter was perhaps the greatest of the disciples, certainly the most influential among them. Yet Jesus warns him that Satan has asked to sift you out. Satan is about to attack you and he's going to try to cause you to fall away. Satan is going to tempt you. And as he tempts you, you will have to make a decision. But there's encouragement. Jesus says, but I have prayed for you. And unfortunately, as he prayed for him, it wasn't just that he would not fall, but that when you return, that you would leave my people. See, the reality is Jesus already knew that Peter was going to have a time where he would fail. And what Jesus was praying for was that when that time comes, that you'll be able to make that course correction, that you'll be able to do the things that you are supposed to do. I have prayed for you that when you return, you will lead my people. When you realize how far you've fallen, when you wake up with regret and sorrow, you're going to need to get up and go. That's what Jesus is saying. And to let, make sure you understand this. Peter certainly knew sorrow and regret from his choice. See, Jesus tells them that Satan has asked to sift you out and said that before the rooster crows tonight, you're going to deny me three times. We're told that it happens exactly as Jesus said. In fact, just as he denies Christ the third time, we're told that the rooster crowed and immediately Peter remembered the words of Jesus. And he began to weep. We're told that he went away and he wept bitterly, recognizing what he had done. And at that moment, he had to feel like the biggest failure in the world. I wonder at what point he remembered the words of Jesus, I have prayed for you, that when you return. I wonder how long it took him to realize that there was the opportunity for, for course correction. Do you remember the woman who had been caught in adultery? Sorry, I'm all over the place this morning. I, I promise I'll get into just a specific passage in a moment. You remember the woman who had been caught in adultery from John chapter 8? She knew what she had done was wrong. 
There's no question she knew the law. She was likely filled with incredible embarrassment and regret. Perhaps even the feeling of, I am a complete failure. I am such a loser. I will never amount to anything. But Jesus offers her forgiveness. And the most beautiful part of her story is that he didn't just offer her forgiveness. He offered her a chance at course correction. In John 18, 11, he's given the other people the chance to condemn her and nobody has done so. And he instructs them that whoever is without sin, you cast the first stone. But nobody was worthy. Jesus knew that, by the way. He was the only one who could have thrown that first stone. So Jesus looks at this woman. Everybody else has dropped their stones. They've left. Where are your accusers? She said, there there are none. They've all left. He says, neither do I condemn you. And then this is where the course correction comes into play. He says, now you go and sin no more. Thank God for the opportunity for course correction. This morning, I want us to read a little bit regarding the Christmas story. The Christmas story is a beautiful story of course correction. The world started out with such beauty and such hope, yet much had changed since God breathed life into Adam and Eve. The introduction of sin into the world brought with it many different consequences. And of course, the wage of sin is death, and the people were very familiar with death. But there was so much more when we talk about consequences to sin. Last week, we talked about the darkness to which Jesus, the light of the world, had come. It was a dark place, and it could be argued that it's just as dark today as it was then. We still have sin, we still have death, we still have political unrest, we have division both inside and outside of the church. We have poverty, we have a general lack of peace. I know I had Troy read about peace this morning as he lit the peace candle. The truth is, peace is something that is very foreign to our world. But the biggest difference between then and now, 2,000 years ago and now, is that they were merely hoping for a promised Messiah who could initiate that course correction. We know that he has already come. We're talking about corporately. The world is desperately in need of a course correction. I heard yesterday on the radio a conversation between two individuals, a mom and their child, and the child asked the question, could Jesus come as a baby this year too? And the mom said, well, no, the baby has already come 2,000 years ago. And she said, why would you want the, ba- the Jesus to come as a baby this year? He said, well, this world needs Jesus to come and change this world too. You see, 2,000 years ago, the world was so dark and desperate, and they desperately needed that course correction. And Jesus coming offered them the opportunity at course correction. I'm going to suggest our world desperately needs it too. But Jesus has already come. That means we already have all that we need to experience that course correction. In fact, listen to the promise of the Messiah as recorded in Malachi chapter 3, 
verses one through four. Some people love the book of Malachi. Some people hate it. Truth is, I love the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter three is not just a message of rebuke, but rather it is a message of hope as it is promising the world that there is one who is coming. Malachi three, and I'll read from the New Living Translation this morning. Malachi three, verse one through four says this. Look, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem, as he did in the past. Now, I want you to know this is all about course correction. We're talking about humanity here, but it's actually maybe just a little more specific. And I want you to understand how that is. Understand that at this moment in time, this is 400 plus years before Christ would come, humanity is falling apart. In fact, in Malachi chapter 2, it describes some of the moral failure that existed even among those within the priesthood. And it almost sounds like there is no hope that humanity will ever find peace with God again. They've been living under the old covenant an agreement between God and Israel that required absolute obedience and repeated sacrifices to make up for where they fell short in their sinful nature. Well, if the priests aren't even getting this right, which clearly they were not, in fact, they're told that basically they have robbed God because they're not doing things the way that God instructed them to do them. If the priests couldn't get it right, then how could everybody else get it right? Ordinary people like you and me, how are we going to do it if they can't do it? How could anybody fix this broken system? Well, I have really good news for you today. You cannot fix the sin problem. So that's not good news. No, it's great news. Because we're not dependent on you and you're not even dependent on you for that. I can't fix the sin problem. However, God can. That's why in Revelation chapter 3, when Jesus addresses the problem of compromise in the church of Laodicea, he says, I counsel you to buy from me, not me, as in the pastor, not for you to do this on your own. He says, I counsel you to buy from me, from Christ himself, gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The key to this counsel is that you can't fix your sin problem, but Jesus can. If we will go to him, he can fix the problem. Our passage declares that the Lord, 
you are seeking will suddenly come. Over four centuries would pass from the time of this prophecy to the time of Jesus' birth, but the time would come where humanity would receive its course correction. You can almost hear the GPS device repeatedly saying, recalculating. Because the truth is, they weren't on the right path. And he kept telling them, no, you need to go this way. And he kept driving this way. And the GPS kept saying, recalculating. The Lord would suddenly come. But it's likely that by the time he came, very few people were even expecting it to happen. People had just resigned themselves to the fact that this is who we are and this is what will always be and this is what we are destined for. But Jesus was coming to fix the sin problem. You know, the passage asks this question, who will be able to endure it when he comes? And the image that I get with that question is that he is coming in judgment who will be able to stand in his presence knowing that he has such high standards, high expectations for us? And maybe that's the way you have always perceived Jesus as our judge and executioner. Maybe you've seen him as the one who is eagerly waiting for the opportunity to punish us. But that is not the Jesus that is described here. Certainly not at his first coming. Jesus didn't come to judge humanity. He came to purify it and redeem it. There's an interesting image that is used in this passage as it portrays Jesus as a refiner. Listen to what it says once more. For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal. Or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes, he will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. Now it should be noted that Jesus is described as being like fire, but not a forest fire, or not the fire of an incinerator, but rather a refiner's fire. You say, well, what difference does any of that make? One year when we were living in Colorado Springs, we had a forest fire that swept through the region. It's actually not that uncommon out there. In fact, it happened on multiple occasions since we have left. Initially, as that forest fire raged, we could see the smoky skies and merely a, a faint glow on the horizon. But as that fire spread, it became much, much more. The smoke was everywhere and the glow grew to a raging fire that would eventually indiscriminately destroy many homes and businesses. We had people in our church who had to leave their homes and go stay with other people because this forest fire continued to rage. Of course, every night on the news, there would be reports as to how much of the fire had been contained and they dealt with percentages. And you always wanted that percentage to be high because you knew the devastation that the fire would bring as it continued to move forward. But note also that Jesus doesn't say, the passage doesn't tell us that Jesus will come as a forest fire, but as a refiner's fire. It also doesn't say that it will come like the fire of an incinerator. An incinerator burns with the intent of leaving little or nothing behind. In this case, the fire serves to bring, not to bring 
complete destruction. As I shared in a recent Bible study, the Lord is patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. He did not come to incinerate. He came to purify. His desire is to restore us to a position where we can come into the presence of an almighty God. And this is where we see the value of a refiner's fire. Should be noted that a refiner's fire is still a fire and it burns. And you can feel the heat from the fire the very moment that you walk into the room. It's an uncomfortable thing, but the result can be something beautiful. When a refiner uses fire, the purpose is to heat up the metal, the gold, the silver, the bronze, whatever type of metal it is, and get it to the point where the impurities will surface to the top. And these impurities are known as the dross. It's the waste that will eventually be scraped off, leaving the purest of metals behind. In a manner, this is what Jesus came to do, to burn away the dross, to make us pure and holy once more. Again, this is about course correction. Yes, humanity had become so filthy with sin that they no longer looked the way God intended, but there was hope. Jesus had come to cleanse them from their sin and to make a way for them to be made right. Now, it should be noted that this course correction would not be easy. At times, it would be painful, but it would certainly be worth it. In Luke 12, verse 49 through 50, Jesus said, I have come to set the world on fire, and I wish it were already burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. That terrible baptism of suffering that Jesus speaks of is the resurrection and the crucifixion that awaited him on the cross. You see, he already knew what was to come with it. But his wish was that the fire were already burning. In addition, he even knew what this would do to others. That same passage from Luke chapter 12 goes on to speak of the division that would occur within families as sons and daughters would be divided by their faith in Jesus Christ. While others within the family rejected the message of hope, some would choose to embrace him. I spoke recently with an individual from another country where Christianity is not well received. The individual has chosen to follow Jesus Christ, and they shared that this decision has already alienated them from their immediate family. Their parents want nothing to do with them, but they firmly believe that Jesus is their only hope for salvation. Perhaps your faith story is not quite as extreme as this. When you chose to follow Christ, maybe your family didn't say, then I want nothing to do with you. But the reality is that the gospel message which we embrace is very much incompatible with the world in which we live. There will be those, even within our families, who will see our choice to follow Christ as being foolish. Or perhaps we will see their unwillingness to follow Christ as being foolish. It is. But I will just say that we should never stop believing that God desires to transform their lives just as much as he desires to transform yours. I challenge you to see those family members who perhaps they look at you with disdain because of the faith that you have in Christ. I challenge you to see them 
through the loving and gracious eyes of Jesus, especially as we go through this Christmas season. He is their greatest hope. In fact, this leads to my final point this morning. Just as Jesus came to purify humanity, there is also a much more personal application to this. He also came to purify us. This is not about the big picture of humanity. Yes, Jesus came, and as Jesus came in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, as Jesus came, he came for course correction for the entire world. The hope that we didn't have, we couldn't fix it. There was nothing we could do. There was such brokenness. But the truth is, even within our own lives, there is brokenness. The reality is that we have all allowed some sort of filth to become a part of our lives. Maybe it's something that we watch or the people that we choose to spend time with. Maybe it's some type of addictive behavior that has begun to dominate our lives. Regardless of what it is, we have compromised in areas that we know are wrong. And many of those areas of compromise have grown into blatant sin. The result is that we all carry with us the weight of our sin. We regret choices that we've made. We are ashamed of the thoughts that others might find out who we are or what we've done. We don't even feel worthy to be in church anymore. In fact, when someone invites us to church, the first thought we get is, oh, the walls might begin to crumble if I walk in the doors. We had at our church in Pennsylvania, there was a really large crack that was in the the back of the sanctuary. I had a friend who visited and he had told me that the walls would probably begin to fall down when we came in. So he walked in and I said, oh, it's happening. And I pointed up to the crack and he turned and he looked, no, it's been there all along, man. It's not you. (laughs) But we recognize how much sin we have allowed in our lives and there's so much shame and regret and we feel so unworthy. We no longer feel worthy even to come before the Lord. But God says that I have come to to purify you from your sin, to burn away the dross. This Christmas season is a great time for us to celebrate what the Lord has already done for us. And we're going to do that all through the next several weeks. I'm so excited about the music program we're going to do next week. It is such a blessing to see so many people coming together. I listened to them practice this past week, and it is amazing. It's going to be an incredible blessing. It's all about celebrating what the Lord has done already. And it's important for us to celebrate what he's already done. But Christmas is also a great time to evaluate where we are in our relationship with the Lord. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to an earth as an infant child born in a manger, and it was all about the purpose of purifying not only humanity, but you and me. And just as humanity was in need of a course correction, my guess is that many of us are in such a place right now. We've allowed some things that don't belong. And you can sit there and you can kind of sit here and blame yourself. I can't believe I put myself in this position and I can continue on this path or at this moment I can stop and I can have a course correction. If I want to get over there, I can't continue to walk this direction, but rather I've got to be willing to turn and go the other way. And the thing is, I can't try to figure out where that other way is. What I need is someone else who actually has been to the finish line already. And that one is Jesus Christ. 
The reality is he has already set the path. He has conquered not only sin, he has conquered death. And there is coming a day that he will come back. In our prayer this morning, I referenced the prodigal son. And I I love this image. The prodigal son had worked so hard on his speech to his father. He was so prepared. There he is. He's, he's wandered away. He's taken his inheritance. He's squandered it. He's wasted on women and drugs and whatever else you can imagine. And as he has squandered everything, he thought to himself, man, if I just went back to my father, I could at least be a servant in his household. And then I would eat better than what I'm eating right out here. He's literally eating the food intended for the pigs. It's disgusting. He turns back. And this was that moment where he turned back to the place. This was his course correction. He knew where to go. And the beauty of that, he, he comes and he's got his speech all prepared. He didn't even have to prepare speech. Because what happens is the father sees him coming. And as the father sees him coming, the father doesn't sit there and wait for an explanation. He doesn't want to hear a repentant heart. He doesn't want to hear anything. The father gets up and he runs. See, that's the thing about this course correction. All we really got to do is to turn to the Lord and allow him to begin to do something spectacular. Reality is all of us have fallen short. We've all sinned and many of us have found ourselves on the wrong path. Now is the time for course correction. You want to get on the right path? You don't got to sit here and kind of weave all around the place to try to get back where you need to be. Just turn and find the finish line. In Hebrews, it tells us that we ought to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. It doesn't mean look around a little bit longer. Maybe you'll take other paths somewhere else first. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the course correction. Get it off of you. Get it off of the things that you want in this life. Get it off of all the things that are going on around you right now. And fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. And as you fix your eyes on him, now you continue that journey. It's time for a course correction. Talked with a young lady this week who is struggling to forgive herself for choices that she's made that seem unfixable. She said some things that she can't take back. You know, our words are kind of like toothpaste, and that once they come out, it's hard to get them back in the tube. Words are the same way. Once they're out there, you can't take them back. I share with this young lady that she basically had three choices. On the one hand, she could ignore the situation and just pretend that everything is okay. That would not be a healthy option, just to make clear. And I don't think it would fit her heart anyways. The second would be that she could sit there and kick herself over and over again for her failure. She could continually blame herself for where she has fallen short. And in doing so, she would allow her failure to now define her. My guess is that many of us have chosen this route throughout the years. Or her third and her best option is that she can accept the fact that she is where she is. She has failed. Now learn from it, course correct, and move forward. Whatever you have done to get you where you are today, there is still hope for tomorrow. 
The scriptures teach us to confess to the Lord where we have sinned and allowed compromise to take place. That when we do, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. What that means is that we may have been on one path that brought us here today, but we can turn. If your current path does not lead you to where you ought to be, then it's time for a course correction. If you would bow your heads with me. Father, as we come before you today, oh, we're grateful for grace. We're grateful that even though we have fallen short many, many times, Lord, that you welcome us back continually. Grateful to know that regardless of how far we've fallen, there is always a place to come. Lord, I pray that course correction would take place right now. Lord, I pray that you would begin to work in our hearts, that you would change our desire, Lord, that you would point out to us where we have fallen short, not so that we feel defeated and we can't move forward so that we'll be defined by those failures of our past, but so that right now we can stop and begin a course in a different direction. Father, I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on you. Lord, I pray that you would cause us to hunger after you so much that we will continually run with everything that we have, believing that there is a finish line worth pressing on to. Lord, I pray that you would help us today as we go through this Christmas season, not only to be able to celebrate what happened 2,000 years ago, but to celebrate what you're doing in us. Lord, change our course. Help us to fix our eyes on you and help us to live in such a way that the world will know that we have been redeemed. Father, we praise you and we look forward to seeing what you do in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I will tell you, I've talked with several people this week who have experienced incredible brokenness. And in the midst of their brokenness, and unfortunately in most of those cases, it's because of their own choices. In most of those cases, most of those cases, all they need to do is to turn and look to Jesus. But they got to stop and make that decision. And I would say the same for us as well. If you are in need of course correction, know that Jesus is the best place to turn. So uh, we did not take up an offering, and that's because what we do is as people leave, uh, we have individuals who are at each of the doors to receive the offering. So I encourage you, if you would like to participate in the giving of tithes and offering, uh, there'll be individuals at the doors. They typically have these uh, plates, and you just come find them. They'll be there. Thank you for being with us, and come back next week. Service is at, well, Sunday school's at 930, service is 1030. Thank you, and go in peace.